0: Our gospel passage for today is coming from the Gospel of Matthew, the 27th chapter, verses 45 through 47. So I invite you to stand as you are able, embody your spirit in honor of the reading of the gospel passage. From noon on, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And about three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sakbathani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of the bystanders heard it, they said, this man is calling for Elijah. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks. You may be seated. You know, about this time of year, a lot of folks start saying to each other, I can't believe it's already here. I mean, it just happened so fast. It just came right back around. It's been a whole year. Now, I'm not talking about Lent, as some of us in the church talk about it. Sometimes when you're on a church calendar year, you can't believe that Advent, Lent, all these things just roll around so fast. No, but I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the impending doom of all the pollen that's already starting to float around, if y'all haven't noticed, okay? But yet that is here, okay? I'm talking about something else. And this is actually something I have never really participated in, but it's a yearly tradition for many. But it's March Madness, y'all. Who's keeping up with it? Where are my basketball people at in here? We are not a very big, a couple of y'all out there, we're not a very big basketball congregation. And look, I really haven't, how many of y'all are basketball folks? A couple of y'all? Nah. And see, normally, I'm, I'm not a big basketball person either. I, I can watch football, I can watch baseball. College sports. If you're within Mississippi, I kind of keep up with you. If you're outside of Mississippi, I don't know what's going on. And that's kind of me, all right. But uh, here at the church, we have a close knit office community during the week. Uh, the office staff of y'all, pretty much, have many of y'all, have been in the office suites. There's like ten offices all in one little area, so we get to interact a lot while we work during the week, getting ready for Sunday worship and all the things we do at the church. And every now and then, we like to have a little fun, okay? I mean, you can't just work, 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 and have no fun. So Jason, our student pastor, came up with this idea. He said, hey, guys, let's do a March Madness bracket competition of the office staff. And I said, you know what? I'm game. I'm going to be horrible at it. I have no idea what's going on, but I'm game. And then we had enough people in the church office to say, hey, we'll, we'll do it too. But little did they know, I have a March Madness college bracket advisor at home who he's really good with some of this stuff and so um, he, admitted he didn't keep up with this year but he knows more than I do so he and I put our heads together and came up with a pretty good bracket it's holding its own right now but yeah we've got about eight staff members that we have a bracket and, uh, and I've been now checking I checked it this morning to see how we did last night and where we rank I, I'm tied for second with Jason believe it or not Tim is first I know look at him go but I'm going to catch them this afternoon. So, anyway. so, But, yeah, it's something fun that we do. We keep up with, you know, we'll check the apps and just see how we're doing, who's going up and down, and rooting for teams I've never rooted before. And, and Kentucky just killed my bracket all the way around. I think it did a lot of folks. Who would have thought they would have gone out the first round? But, anyway, it's fun. And the other thing that makes it fun is that, A, the winner will win a crumble cookie, which I will gladly share 50% with my advisor, okay, if, when I win. But the other thing is is that when each team wins, when you get to proceed and get those points, their victory becomes your victory. You get to share in that moment like, "Oh, they won. That's great. They're excited, I'm excited, we're moving on. My bracket's playing out." And so their victory becomes your victory and you get to have a little bit of a moment of celebration. And when you look at it, when you think about our faith, When you think about the season we're in and season of Lent as we reflect on the cross and Christ's sacrifice on the cross and God's master plan of reconciliation with with his creation, you know what? We get to share in that victory too. We get to share in Christ's victory on the cross. And that is something that we should be celebrating every single day. What we're doing for the season of Lent is we're looking at some of the final sayings of Christ when he is on the cross. And what that meant at that time and what that means for us now today. Because may we remember, crucifixion was the most painful way to be put to death. And one of the things that makes it so incredibly painful is that every breath, every word, takes an amount of effort from all the pressure that you have. And so these words that Christ chooses to say have extreme importance because they were so physically painful to say, but so incredibly important for all of us. And so today we look at the saying that he has, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when you read that, And hear that, it sounds despairing. It sounds defeated almost in a way. Christ is alone on the cross. People that knew him denied him. And now he is saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But there's more to it. As with everything that Jesus says There's deeper layers of understanding in what it truly means. And a lot of times it's a complete 180 of what you thought you heard. One thing, when you start out with this passage here, it lifts up the time of the day. From noon on, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And what that is starting to lay out for you is this. Christ had been on the cross since that morning in the daytime, where folks could see who it was and and not deny the fact that that was Jesus. It's not an imposter on the cross. It is the one who calls himself the Messiah there at the mercy of Rome on the cross, humiliated before all that walked in front of him. It was definitely him. But then something happened around noon. A whole darkness came over the land for the final hours that Christ was on the cross. This signifies many things, signifies God's sorrow and wrath as Jesus pays our price for our sin, not his, but our sin on the cross. And then also this is something to note because it would have been a full moon season because of Passover, but there's no mention of the full moon. However, Roman historians dated that in the 202nd Olympiad in the fourth year, which would have been this time, Even these secular sources noted a darkness in the afternoon that came across in the sky, and all you could see was stars, and it ended with an earthquake. And so you even have historical secular events reinforcing this moment of crucifixion on the cross, that this was the moment that God's plan is coming together. God was seeing his plan come together while the world witnessed what they thought was Messiah being executed on the cross. But yet we don't see exactly how God does. Then it goes on to say, At three o'clock, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of the bystanders heard it, they said, This man is calling for Elijah. You know, this is all part of what needed to take place. The prophet Isaiah says this in chapter 53. He says this He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquitted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. In this moment, the prophecy was being fulfilled that Christ was paying the price of our sins on that cross, and yet we turned away at that time. And when you think about it, if it's our sins that put him on the cross, sin is not just something that's very lightly taken. And a lot of times we throw that word around jokingly sometimes. But it is something to take very seriously because it was that our sins made Jesus go through that pain. It was for our sake that he died so that we could live. And so sin is something that we should take seriously. That's why in the season of Lent, we tried to pinpoint that area in our life that is separating us from God whatever that may be, and we make a commitment to cut that out and to focus on God, which is repentance, turning away from sin and towards God in preparation of the appreciation of what Christ did on the cross. That's what we're doing here, and that is what's being fulfilled here. But something interesting is said here in verse 47. The bystanders that heard it, they said, this man is calling for Elijah, which is the prophet, the one who's going to come and prepare the way for the Lord, they didn't hear all of what Jesus said there. They just heard Eli, and they made an assumption of what he was calling for. They misunderstood him. They misunderstood him, which is fitting for Jesus's ministry because he was misunderstood by so many, by the Pharisees, by the Romans, by even some of his own people. He was misunderstood. But those closest to Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. His followers knew exactly what he was saying when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as I said earlier, a lot of times when Jesus says something, it's a lot deeper. And it's sometimes the complete opposite of what we thought we heard. When you go back and hear this, there's a reason why we read Psalm 22. Because Jesus was reflecting and basically reciting Psalm 22, the first verses for it, from the cross. So those who understood would get his message. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a moment here and we're going to look at Psalm 22. We're going to look at the first part that he invoked and he said. And then we're going to look at the part that he didn't say verbally but very directly told his followers. And it is a completely different message than those on the surface would see it. So Psalm 22, verses 1 through 2, says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. In the night season, and am not silent. See, this is a Psalm of David. Initially, it was David crying out to God. And David is a man after God's own heart, very connected and in sync with God. And so in those moments, in those low moments of David's life, he would cry out to God because he doesn't feel him present. He misses his presence. He feels alone. And so he cries out in pain. And so our Messiah on the cross invokes these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so on the surface, it looks like that he's being forgotten and forsaken. But there's more to the story. Verses 3 through 5 continues on. It says, But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted you, and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. And so here, David in the psalm is reminding us that in the past times... And he's calling out to God saying, hey, in past times, our fathers believed in you and you came through for them. He is saying this because I have confidence you will come through for me in this moment. And then we jump to verse 19 through 21. It says, but you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O oh, my strength hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword. My precious life from the power of the dogs, save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. It's a continual plea for help and deliverance that David has faith that God will proceed and do. And in this moment, those that heard Jesus say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They know the rest of this psalm. They know there comes a plea for deliverance. And then the answer, it says, you have answered me. I will declare your name by my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You will fear the Lord, praise him, all the descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him, all you offspring of Israel. And so in this moment, in this situation that David is crying out for, God answers and delivers and he praises him. And the followers of Jesus seeing Christ on the cross knew that God would deliver, and God would redeem, and God will save. That the Roman crucifixion was not going to be the final word in this situation. While on the surface it looked that all was lost, they know the truth. And Jesus was reminding them of the truth. It says, For he has not despised nor adored the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to them, he heard them. And my praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. God was not absent. God was not absent in that moment of the crucifixion, but working through that moment for our redemption and for for us to be saved. In this moment in David's life in the psalm, God was not hidden. God was there working through the messiness to provide a path out for David. He is always working through the messiness of life. And sometimes in the moments we can't see it and we lose faith. But God never gives up. God never gives up. Because the poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families and the nations shall worship you. All will be welcome to the heavenly banquet. All are welcome to be with God. God wants reconciliation. The poor, the lame, the crippled, those in need will be exalted and brought to the heavenly banquet because of what Jesus did on the cross. Us sinners will be able to have the opportunity to be with our Creator where all will be made whole and perfect again. And for the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. And all the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship, and those who go down to the dust shall bow before him. Even he who cannot keep himself alive, a prosperity shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born, that he has done this. See, God's plan and God's victory on the cross through Jesus Christ was not just for the people of that day. It was for future generations as well. You and me, we get to benefit from Christ's crucifixion and what happened on the cross and the generations after us and those who believe will get to benefit. We all will get to share in the victory of Jesus Christ. We will all get to receive the benefits of salvation if we choose to accept and have faith and to turn towards God. And It is an amazing thing that we are offered, this abundance of grace and love from our God that did not give up on us, that did not leave us, and stays with us in times of trial and celebrates with us in the times of joy. And because of this, we can live a life without fear. We can live a life without doubt and to have hope. You know, there's a saying sometimes that I'll throw out there when I feel like I've done all that I could in that moment, and I've, I've done my best, and I say, you know what? From here on out, God's got it. You know, it's in God's hands, and it is. We need to place these situations in God's hands because he can handle it, because he is with us in those moments. And so we need to live a life as people who acknowledge this victory, A lot of times we feel like that the world and the evils of this world is winning out. Whenever we're in a bad situation, when we're in a tough spot in our life, we feel down and we feel out and we feel alone and that there's no hope. When we do that, we are indirectly saying that this moment of brokenness and sin is greater than God's grace, but it is not. God's grace is greater than sin and brokenness because of the victory on the cross. And so our challenge is is to live as a people of the resurrected Jesus, to live as a people who are loved by God, and to allow that to transform our lives each and every morning when we get out of bed and we put our feet on the ground, no matter what lays before us, we should have the hope of God's love and grace that's poured out upon us. And we give thanks for Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And in that moment where it all seemed lost and those bystanders just missed the point, we know the truth. When he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was not a moment of defeat, but a moment of claiming victory. Victory and God's victory in the fulfillment of his plan. So may we go about this week with the hope, of the resurrected Christ, as we go through the season of Lent and we reflect on what that means for us, and may we share that grace and love and that message of hope and resurrection to the people that God places in our lives. May we do that because we have been so greatly loved and we get to share in that victory. Let us pray.